This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm just disappointed. And I'm The Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the movie Starstruck. From the director of My Brilliant Career... A totally new kind of Australian film. Last night of the Lizard Lounge, Jackie blew the roof off. What whist? Hot air? Star quality, Auntie Pearl. Star quality. My cousin Angus, he's reading this book, Sex Psychology, and he reckons guitars are like phallic symbols. And guitarists masturbate for a living you know of course a big thank you to our patrons over on patreon their contributions help us continue the show you know since the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies plus each month we do a bonus episode over there it's like a month of musicals i guess because we're talking about the musical the boyfriend as our special episode here this month. I got nothing. Now, Dave, before I'm we I'm sure get, it's good. I don't know. It's Ken Russell, so it might be just a bunch of nuns filleting a candle again for two hours. I'm there we for that. Know. Yeah. We don't know. Before we get to talking about this week's film, Dave, I, I think there has to be a few things we, we cover here. First of all, I mean, I asked you this past week to just take a look at the books, because I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that DDS, DDS has been stealing from us. I'm oh, right. pretty confident that's what's going yeah, on. So how rich. are the finances of Kyle and Dave's arcade and dentistry going? Yeah, um, right, finances. I looked at the ledger because I don't mm-hmm. think there are spreadsheets yet. Is that right? Is Excel out yet? I would, I would assume so. It's probably still by hand, yeah. Uh, and according to this ledger, I have terrible handwriting. I also forgot to use different colored ink. So I am not actually sure if we're uh, making or losing money, but I think it's a safe bet to say that probably the latter. Yeah, I, mm. I don't see an income here. I do like that every zero is actually just a heart. You've just thrown <laughs> a heart every time there's a zero. <laughs> no, it's just uh, just a typo. Well, I'm sure that's not going to come and bite us in our deep and rich fiction as we continue through this season. I think the other thing we should just briefly discuss before we get into this week's film, uh, the current state of our list. You know, we've gone through, let me just do a double check here, Dave. We have talked about... I just realized, like, we have a roommate who's a dentist who's skimming the books of an arcade Mm. in 1982. Weird, Who comes up with this stuff? Hollywood. (laughs) Okay. We've talked about 16 films. We've rated 16 films in the year 1982. I want to ask you this kind of very broad question. How are you feeling about 1982 so far? Oh, wow. That is broad. I'm more entertained than 1971. Mm. But, you know, by the end of 1971, we realized it was a lot more culturally impactful as far as trying to do stuff with movies. So I'm not sure Mm -hmm. yet where we are with 1982 sort of cultural, what's the right word? I don't know, not microcosm, but a picture of America. Yeah, that was kind of what I was leading up to is like, do you feel that there's any 
themes or anything like that that we have been butting into I don't know. over and over again? Any the grand uh, uh, suggestions of the culture in 1982? I don't know. The, the genres have been pretty wildly separate. I mean, we picked uh, already two indie films directed by independent female filmmakers. So already we're off sure. the course of what the general culture of America is. There's a reason why they disappeared largely in the commercial movie making dialogue. Uh, I mean, we got Spielberg, we got yep. Gandhi. So now we have these like super big, big things that have informed culture from a pop culture standpoint, but I don't think they had a big cultural message. You know, they weren't really trying to make us think things. And then we had uh, Pavarotti wasting everybody's money and time. <laughs> wasting so, everyone's time. Yeah. What I want to continually maybe circle back to, again, this is going to be hard because, you know, I don't know exactly what the machine is going to pick for right. us versus like yeah, because big, huge blockbuster versus like small indie films. There's no spreadsheet here. Stop looking at my screen. I would say that broadly speaking, not every single one, but broadly speaking, it seems like the the outside of the Hollywood machine, there is that feeling of the 1971 is still there, of like pushing against things, trying different things, being somewhat radical in points of view and representation of different subcultures. Whereas there seems to be a deeper divide between, oh, if this was backed by a studio, this is only going to go to a certain level of what the audience is going to be comfortable with. It's not like throwing stuff into their face and like forcing them to reckon with it. Even 48 Hours, which we talked about, which is dealing with like racism and that sort of thing, is still getting only to a certain point of that, that I think general audiences would still have felt like comfortable and not like talked down to sort of thing. So that I, I've been finding that very interesting to really track here the last few weeks. Yeah, I, and I don't know. Uh, again, we're speaking broadly. In the least sexist way. Uh, but speaking broadly, Kyle, I, I don't know if that's a 1982 thing. I think that's, um, that's a reflection of how commercial art works. You know, the moment I, I just actually attended a photography seminar yesterday or a workshop or whatever you want to call it. And it was a fascinating thing. It was about fine art portraiture, not like commercial portraiture. And th there's a fascinating distinction. The main thing being uh, kind of what you're talking about. We have these formalized ideas of what a good picture ought to look like as far as a person's face and, and how they're meant to be projected to an audience or to themselves. And then um, as that kind of opened up, uh, anywhere even from like the 30s, but particularly into the uh, post-war generation, people intentionally looked at those definitions and intentionally tried to break them. And mm. uh, so the dialogue of the workshop ended up being um, how, you know, with art, you have to learn the rules. You know, you can't just shit on film and then call it a movie. It just, it doesn't really work that way. But then once you understand how a movie is structured, then an artist has license to break that. It's just a studio is never going to pay for that because they'll never get their money back. And I don't think that's true. I think that's changed since the beginning of film or today, I should say. No, but I think, again, I think what we've missed in the you know 11 years between 1971 and 1982, if you read any type of history book, is like the 70s kind of start, there's the fall of the ratings board. Everyone scrambles and like pushes the boundaries as far as they can go. Like even in 1972, we're talking a film that was absolutely 100% a pornographic film. Deep Throat is one of the top 10 money earners of the year. Like that is bonkers to think about. And like things go wild and then it just gets reined back in by the late 70s. And now 
into the early 80s where like corporate America has its its hooks into like what kind of films are being made and gets to choose who the filmmakers are going to be that, that make those films. There was this really fascinating article I was reading this week. By the way, I will, I will say this uh, photography event you went to really uh, provocative for 1982 that you went right. to. Because yes. we are literally in the year 1982 yes. currently. That was uh, 1982. Please keep up the facade. So I was reading this article about how the 80s predominantly again if we are looking at the vast majority of like studio backed films was a very conservative outlook if you look at conservative tenants like they most of them fit them uh, even like the rambos and all that kind of stuff it's a very conservative ideal of men of women of foreign policy etc and how that's biting against this current culture we're talking the year 2022 about how everyone has this love of 80s cinema we'll say and, and 80s influences which is very specifically a conservative outlook and why there seems to be this big butting up against of other people and new filmmakers who are like well we don't like we, i don't actually have a love of that i want to push something new and something different than a new outlook on on things and how audiences are reacting weirdly to that because they want to stay in that nostalgia of what made them feel good which was technically a conservative outlook versus another outlook that's like no that's not what a movie is i don't know it was very fascinating for them to break it down like that i'd have to do a much more integrated look at the films that they're talking about but i thought that was a kind of a fascinating thing to think about yeah i i think the word that strikes me the most in your description of something that i'm going to assume you interpreted correctly <laughs> is the word nostalgia and i think um, you know, that's such a dangerous concept. It's a very human one. It's a you know necessary oh, sure. one in the sense that we can't avoid it. But there is a trend in any era to make movies that you enjoyed when you were growing up. It's one of the reasons why, for the most part, pop song soundtracks tend to follow like tell you the age of the director yeah <laughs> you know right. i mean it's changing now i mean there's a lot of really shitty uh modern pop songs that are infused into uh television shows and and uh films because hollywood and, and these producers have realized that they need younger audiences to sit you know through two hours of this shit and not just torrent it but i don't know i don't know is this why we have so many shitty remakes where we just throw it i just i'm sorry this is totally invalidates me as someone who should watch movies. But as a family, we tried to watch Sneakerella on the Disney Channel. Did you read my comment on Letterboxd no. that I left for you on that? No. I think if I can remember it, I wrote, why did you watch this? I think this is genetically engineered to be something you hate. <laughs> yes, it, it was. Yeah, it, it was grown in a lab. It was grown in a lab. And they were like, this David guy, I, I just don't <laughs> yeah. like him. <laughs> fucking loathe this film. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, to this point, uh, for whatever reason, the idea of Cinderella, because it's infused in our self-image, like we, everybody in North America knows about Cinderella, mm -hmm. just like we all know about Disney. Whereas the Disney version or the book yeah. you read as a child growing up. And I'm sure there's people who do live in rocks and uh, farms and stuff who've never heard of Disney, but I, you know, I don't know. It's probably one person. So, you know, if someone said, oh, we're going to make a... Uh, we're going to gender reverse it and it's going to be musical and it's going to be mm -hmm. hip hop. You're like, all right, yeah, I don't know, might be fine. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't pull off. And I think to your point, they got stuck in so many of the shitty beats of a bygone era and they couldn't modernize it because the story itself is so archaic. <laughs> You know, sure. you have this, you know, uh, brutalized damn. She's not even a heroine, frankly. You know, she's saved by this fucking fairy who gives her a pumpkin, and this man comes and puts a shoe on her, and they go and make out. It's it's actually a pretty dumb story, but they really wanted to make it uh, with a boy and a girl in the reverse order. And Kyle, mm -hmm. uh, 
I was very angry. But we finished it because uh, that's good. Hello you were just was gritting your teeth the entire time. Oh, it was, sure uh, it was really yeah. fun. I was making a lot of noises, but uh, you know, Helen won't turn off a movie. You for should just that. record your noises just so I can insert them into certain episodes. <laughs> well, I, I text like, you. Ugh. We're watching. Yeah. Not that we've watched this movie yet, or know what text messages are in 1982, but mm-hmm. I text you that we should be live streaming watching this piece of shit. Because mm. I made a lot of noises watching this too. Okay, we'll get into that, Dave. This <laughs> uh, is a final bow to this. I think, um, I mean, you're, you're talking about like a Cinderella infusion. I mean, that's, again, like you said, it's archaic. It's going back like 300 years almost to the Brothers Grimm and stuff like that. I think what's fascinating to me is that it's not like it never happened. Even in the 80s, there was like sequels to like long ago things, right? You have... Um, the Color of Money, for instance, is a sequel to The Hustler that was made in the 60s. You have Return to Oz, which was a sequel to The Wizard of Oz from 1939. So, like, it's, it's happened. But what I think is remarkable is that it seems to be, like, a recurring thing of however you want to term it, the legacy sequel, I think, is what I've heard it be called in, wow. in modern times. Which is, like, we're going to make a sequel to a thing from, like, 20, 30 years ago. With, and especially on TV, which I don't understand. Like, it seems like the next I see thing what's on happening. TV. You're trying to tell me you don't want to watch Top Gun with me. But I'm telling you, <laughs> it's probably going to be it's good. amazing. <laughs> Apparently, it's amazing. But it's like, I don't know. I just feel that uh, it's an odd thing to be like, oh, the 80s were so good. They were so amazing about everything. It's like, well, maybe. But, I mean, let's, like, maybe dig a little bit deeper here and see. I mean, maybe the, and I will say, a friend, haven't seen the, Top Gun sequel. Every critic I trust has said it's like amazing, and then some are saying like better than the original, which I don't think the original is all that good, Come but whatever, on. better Come than on. the original. So maybe I'm going to be proven wrong. I think that this necessity to uphold nostalgia, I don't think nostalgia is a bad thing by itself. It's like, oh yeah, like there were some cool things that happened in my youth, and uh, there's a special place that I hold them in my heart. I think it's fundamentally different than me, like, oh, what my nostalgia is is way better just because oh, and I and and you don't engage with anything in a modern world that is when I think things get a little bit weird yeah I, that like abstractly the word that refers you know to money and I think that's kind of the problem is if you're a Hollywood producer or a screenwriter or you know a, a workshop screenwriter whatever an idea person and you're like oh we've run out of stories that are bankable but I remember I used to love black cauldron <laughs> what a pull yeah sure go ahead right? yes and then let's do a sequel to black cauldron they have five books in that children's right? series right then not? they're just like you know let's uh let's see how we can workshop this let's rework it and just make it modern mm. there's gonna be you know uh, a disabled minority girl that's like the protagonist and that's how we keep things fresh but it's the same story like it's just it's a you know, mess you know what it is too i think and let's save this conversation maybe for another episode I don't want to make it seem like I think it's a bad thing to have inclusion. I actually, I have, I think that's a great thing to tell different stories from different points of view. But I think what you just pointed out there is such a key thing. Is a fundamental difference between whether you liked Coda or not. Coda is very intrinsically is telling a story about a deaf family and someone who is inside that family. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I think it's fundamentally different than being like, Cinderella, but with a person in a wheelchair. I'm like, yeah. okay, but like, why are we telling this story this yes. way? Why are we telling this story? Like, there doesn't seem to be any reason why we're telling this story this way. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's the question that money doesn't ask. Why Why mm. do we need to tell this story? Why do we need to make The Lion King with human beings? It just right, doesn't right, make right, any right. sense. It did make a lot of money though. So they did know, some kind of statistical research. <laughs> that is the thing. We can complain as much as we want. That movie made $2 billion. Yeah. So like- They're making a second Aladdin. How? How? I mean, why? I know there was a second 
animated film, right? Uh, the Return of mm-hmm. Jafar, whatever it was called. So uh, yeah. maybe- King of Thieves is the third one. <laughs> wow. This All is right. why we have a movie podcast, because we are losers. Yeah. Let's complain about other things here. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, do you have any history with Gillian Armstrong? No. The- director of this film. I don't think so. The only film that I have seen of hers, I believe, is the Little Women oh, version right. yes. that she made I with forgot. Winona Ryder yes. and a very young Christian Bale. I think right after he did Newsies. Wow. Like but, uh, very young. Like you had to be oh, careful about how you refer to him young. Very, very young Kirsten Dunst. It might even be her first movie. Like she's like, like a baby. six in that movie. She's so young. I thought, yeah, I thought Vampire was her first movie, but that's around the same time Oh, it could too. have been. Yeah. That's around Whatever. the same around era. the same time. Yeah. She's too, but Kristen Dunst is very young in that version of Little Women. She was a very young vampire. Yeah, right. She's very it's good. good. At, like I mean, I it's can't. Not, it's not not look bad. at her and see vampire anymore. To be honest with you, did you see? Have you seen that version of Little Women? Yes. I, well, I don't. I think so. But you know what? Maybe I haven't. And I, it was just such a big hit that I remember everybody had a poster of it when I was growing up. Sure. Is it Gabriel Byrne? I think it's Gabriel Byrne. He is very hot in that movie. It's like the hottest he's probably ever been. And this is like <laughs> is in that movie. Peak Winona before the yeah. kleptomania stuff. Like she was gonna be. She was it. She made it. Yeah, she's she was the next like, big thing. Yeah. I think this is Johnny Depp Winona too. I can't remember how that the staging was, but she was she's huge. But you know, now that I think about it, I probably did not watch the movie because I was like a 13-year-old boy. I had no interest in watching Little Women. I don't like little things. I don't like women. So I'm not going to like this movie. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty young. How about this movie, Starstruck? Have you any name recognition no. history with this movie? No. And I wish I didn't. I have never heard of this movie in my entire life up until maybe, well, until last week when it was recommended by the machine right, right, right. for us to watch it. So I'm excited to jump into it and discuss it with you, Dave. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll thank some of the people that help put this show on. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about Starstruck. So you you were a New Order guy? Uh, Yeah. I mean, in a sense, I had the, the best of album it was i listened to rich but i don't it's like directors i don't follow like if you're gonna ask you me follow t- specific trip yeah trivia i'm, I'm oh. not gonna remember their names i used to I know had names, the but. madonna immaculate collection <laughs> which is still one of my favorite <laughs> albums of all time the blue cover with uh, the man. stylized m on the front of it say, it was her thing? best of track yeah, yeah. uh basically too so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, nothing but bangers on that album i'll tell you that <laughs> Madonna. She's still out there. She's still she's, out there. She's still trying to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by InVentures, your front row seat to what's next. Ooh. Register now for InVentures 2022 where you can learn, share, and be inspired by the startups, entrepreneurs, investors, and global thought leaders who are redefining the future. InVenture runs June 1st to 3rd in Calgary and online, featuring more than 150 sessions, over 250 speakers, international keynotes, expert panels, startup pitch events, networking opportunities, and more. Reserve your pass now at InVenturesCanada.com. That's I-N-V-E- N-T-U-R-E-S, Canada.com. Can I just quip about yeah. uh, InVentures? So, um, as you know, on top of watching Sneakerella, we also watch a lot of CTV app 
television shows. And one of them, although this year is the worst one we've ever watched, is Mass Singer. I bring this up because the special guest that was revealed last week was on, well, we would say, on Vogue, which is <laughs> a great female vocalist group. In America- right. and and also a great Madonna song. In America, apparently, because Nick Cannon gave Ken Jong so much public shit over this. In America, mm. they're called invoke. In. The letters E-N in American oh, are see. pronounced in because they're fucking stupid. And so, they, all of them, the judges, the band, the, Nick Cannon, screaming, calling Ken Jong an idiot because who says on vogue? And I'm like, it's a fucking French word, you morons. Right? Like, what? <laughs> Just you losing it at your television. <laughs> I was. And even on Vogue, kind of, they were like, well, in Europe, they call me on. Yeah, no shit. It's their fucking language. And that's why it's correctly pronounced on Vogue. All right, I'm going to stop. In Vogue? In? Thank you, for, thank you for bringing that up. That was a very valuable addition to this podcast. In Vogue? So our second, I mean, I, it translates that way, but whatever. It's not important. <laughs> our second sponsor <laughs> is the Alberta Blue Cross Group. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you're calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. And I just give them my blood? Like I can just bring it to them? Helen's a pretty big blood donor. I think I'm barred. You're barred still, aren't you? I am still can't. Yes. Yeah. I have sex with men, so I'm not allowed to go and give blood. It's insane. I was telling Helen that and she was like, no, there's no way that's true. Isn't she nice? Right? She yeah, still she's believes, so nice and sweet. I, she still believes that human beings can make something like Sneakerella and it'd be worth spending <laughs> an hour and 50 minutes to find <laughs> they, out that. They tried their hardest. <laughs> All right, we are back here. Dave. No. Someone comes up to you. No. <laughs> no. Nope. Says, I, I don't want to watch the television show Starstruck. It's currently airing on HBO Max. I, I want to okay. watch the 1982 yeah. musical. No. Starstruck. Yeah, no. What's it about? <laughs> well, how would you... <laughs> How would you answer that? Oh, I, I peeked because I laughed right into the mic. Sorry, Kyle. So, what's the plot? What's the plot? There's of no plot. Starstruck. There's no plot. Well, just generally Fine. speaking, what is happening? There's an idiot that wants to be famous, and she gets it. Does she though? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, textually, she does. Before we do anything, because I know what your thoughts are on this, mm. I've not let you know what my thoughts are on this mm -hmm. yet. I want to see if we just have a baseline agreement. <sighs> Ask it for a lot. Taking this movie out of the equation. Like, okay. th it's out of the room. We've, we've told Starstruck to get out of the room. We need to talk amongst ourselves. If someone said, I have written a new wave musical. Yeah, right? I'd be all a, in. a musical that has new wave music in it. Yeah. Do you not agree with me that just that description is like, uh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that looks, that, that sounds great. A musical with happy, sad music is the mm -hmm. greatest thing. You know, there's so much there you can play with. Just don't dress up in a fucking idiot costume and just dance around with no plot, with a suit, you know, with boobs on it. All right. We, we throw out the door. Uh, okay. I just, wanted, I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Now, now Starstruck is coming back into the room. They've snuck, they've <laughs> snuck their head around the corner. They're, they're being let back into the room. Oh, man. Uh, I just wanted to start there because at least for me, when I heard that that was the description of this movie, well, I'm like, this is going to be my favorite, this is yeah. gonna be my favorite movie. So uh, exciting. It's, it's coming. Musicals, one of my favorite, like types of music to listen to. Yeah. There's no way this could go wrong. There's no way this could go wrong. 
Dave, how did it go wrong? Um, no, it went wrong. I think number one, before anything, just because the way you brought this up, for me, New Wave isn't this. This to mm. me is kind of like Australian punk music. There's something about this yeah. that was way too rough and shitty. And I know that New Wave has several subgenres and, and some of the, I can't remember which bands off the top of my head do sound a lot like this, but this is not the new wave music that I liked. You know, I liked the whatever, um, oh my God, not just New Order and Joy Division, um, Patch Up Boys. Echo and the Bunny Men all the way. This apparently like a lot of the music in this movie was done by the Split Ends, yeah. which I know their names, but I don't actually know much of their music, I have to say. So already like when this movie started, the tone for me, like I knew I was in trouble because uh, I just felt... Awkward. And then the first scene opens up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a shitty camp movie where they think it's funny, but I don't get the context because I'm not Australian. I'm not white and it's not actually 1982. So I don't understand any of the jokes. And then uh, the acting's bad because everybody sucked in it. And then the story didn't make any sense because it's supposed to be satirical. Uh, so it's not supposed to make any sense. And it's a play on, I guess, cultural expectations of Australia, which I don't mm -hmm. get. Yeah. So really off the bat, this was never going to work for me. Okay. So I, I'm going to walk you through how I experienced this movie. Okay. Because it sounds basically from what you're telling me, you were out like within 30 seconds. Oh, I text you as soon as it started. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't because when that first thing happens, it's like starstruck as like the lights flashing in the background yeah, yeah. and like she comes on screen and it's like all bright and bold. I actually kind of like the song that was playing at the beginning. I was you're like, oh, ready. I'm in. Yeah, you're ready. I'm in. I'm ready to love this movie. And I would say that that love kind of sustained itself for up to maybe the first 15, 20 ish minutes up to that point. I do have to say, like, I really did enjoy the, the way that this movie kind of enters in the club scene <laughs> and sets up the premise of the movie okay. of like someone who's trying to grab fame, who isn't famous, Fine. is has her little brother who's coming around trying his best to like the be her hype was man. So bad, Kyle. Regardless, I'm just saying the setup is like, okay, I'm, I'm down for this. I actually really, really, really liked the first two songs. At first, I'm like, oh, is this going to be one of those musicals where every like mm. musical set piece is actually happening? Because right. that's what it seemed like it was setting up. Because the first two songs are, they're performing on stage. And yes, people are like synchronized dancing and stuff, but it's like they're performing. If you want to so call it dancing. I, but yeah, yeah, they were synchronized. You yeah. know, it's like, okay, so this is a musical that people are not technically like breaking out into song and dance. Okay. They're performing it as if this is actually happening. Part of the world. Stylized, over the top still, but yeah. Then it kind of took a turn for me to fully latch on to this because I think you kind of identified my major criticism of this movie. There's not a lot of there there as far as plot goes right it's like okay so she wants to be famous what else oh it's just that it's just that and it kind of does that over and over again which would be fine i think i could probably even power through that if i thought the central performance was like so magnetic mm. that i was like oh i'm just being drawn in because of how great you are I'm, I'm thinking of like even like smithereens from last week not a musical i know but even there where i wasn't like a hundred percent into some of the other actors and how it kind of lags a bit in the middle at least the central performance is like i'm in this yeah. like she's great so i can be carried through the rest of this i just need to know yeah yeah right because i need to know where how you're going to end up and i never fully like got there with that i like to imagine that all the characters die in an explosion after it fades to black then the the songs also turned bad <laughs> Yeah. after that too and i think part of the issue is here for good or bad 
these straight up are just pop songs. Now, this is going to sound weird for, for me to say that because it's not like I hate pop songs. But if you're going to be using this as a musical, in my opinion, my snobby opinion, if you're promoting yourself as a musical, my favorite musicals, use song to progress the plot. Yeah. And when it's just a pop song with not very great lyrics, then it's just a performance. And so you're like going in and then, oh, we're stopping dead just to have a performance. And like it's a little bit more of an advancement and we're going to stop and just give a performance. So they never felt like the songs were integrated well or with as a thematic point or they could use those lyrics to like comment on the situation. Like none of that was actually happening. So I actually ended up being kind of disappointed by this movie, even though I think we're going to be the outliers again, just based on people's reviews and stuff like that. I still liked it way more than you. Because at the very least, it swung for the fencers. And as you know, I love when people at least try something new and bold. I just give them a lot of credit for trying something. It doesn't work for me, but at least they tried to do something different. I don't know. There's a good comparison maybe to Annie, although Annie was already an established Mm -hmm. uh, musical. They just kind of mucked around with it to include story elements that didn't need to be there. But in the same way, this thing doesn't know how it's like shoehorning music into it. The dancing's I mean, it it isn't too because like the protagonist is constantly performing, but she's not good at it. I mean, not to be personal. Uh, I I don't know if she's a successful actress or not. Apparently she went on to be very famous. In Australia or something. I don't know. You can tell me about your research. You uh, did, I but. tried to look it up. There's not a lot of information. I think it's out of the context of, of anything that matters. But so I don't know if she's instructed to do this, to look like, uh, you know, a caricature of a human being. She, she doesn't even look like a person. She's making faces, you know, 75% of the time. She doesn't act or speak in a way that makes any human logical sense. Her brothers, same yeah, thing. I mean, They're like cartoon characters. And so I'm not interested, you know. I think there's a place for that. If you look at classical musicals, they are also n- like not regular say, human like, beings. But they're, uh, they have charisma. <laughs> and at least... Yes, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Right? At least when they go out and they lead into a dance number or they fall in love or whatever, you know, whatever the contrivance is, you buy into it because the ones that stayed stars, uh, you know, your Fred Astaire's, your Gene Kelly's, whatever, whatever era, they're magnetic. They're like transcend the screen. You just want to, you want them to win. Whether that's a good culture as we talked about at the beginning or not, I don't know. Uh, the other thing I was going to bring up, I also peaked. I was so infuriated. But this this is the nostalgia problem because most of those reviews start off with, I remember watching this on TV when I was a kid. Or like, Mm. I remember discovering this, you know, on cable television when I was this. None of them are describing what it's like today. And I think that I can't obviously give you the experience of some like Australian teenager turned on the telly and this came on. They thought it was hilarious, but I can tell you the experience of a soon-to-be 44-year-old uh, Korean-Canadian guy watching this <laughs> on Tubi. Uh, uh-huh. It was uh, awful. It was an awful experience. Yeah. It's unfortunate that you have not watched a lot of other weird movie musicals because there's actually three of them mm. that I want to use as kind of a counterpoint to this movie. Because as it was going along, it's like, it's, it's weird, right? I, I think we can say as a base thing, it's this kind of a weird setup, how it's filmed, the set pieces, just the vibe of the whole thing. And the three films that I can kind of form a comparison to, there is, and I'll go in order of their release, there is a movie that I have a great fondness for called Phantom of the Paradise. There is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and there is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. 
Now, two of those started on stage and became movie musicals. That's the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Hedwig. Uh, and then Phantom of the Paradise is its own rock musical that was made just for just for as a movie. And because those were swirling around in my head, I, I just could not help but compare it because it's like, you know, it never gets as weird as Phantom of the Paradise, which is kind of what I wanted it to be. It's like, at least it's, it's not even getting that bizarre of like this really updated version of a phantom of the opera and you have weird paul williams running around and a guy with like black ink mouth singing his rock opera it's definitely i don't think as culturally significant or relevant as rocky horror picture show is and i don't think it's as emotionally uh, like revelatory as what hedwig is hedwig happens to be one of my like, top 10 favorite movies of all time so wow. that's a hard thing to achieve these things that kind of remind me of this movie it doesn't actually reach the level of any one of those in any of the three different categories. By the end of it, I was, <laughs> I was like, I guess that, I guess that's it. And then it, it almost kind of reminded me of us ret- uh, watching Red Dawn. Is that right? No, Red Sun. Sorry. Watching Red Sun from 1971, where it's like, oh, man, someone should nail this concept because it's actually not a bad concept. It's just done. I don't know. I think. And when I say the concept, I'm just meaning a new wave musical. I just really want to see this say, now. Yeah, like it have to it have to be very very dumbed down for us to make that mm-hmm. comparison. You know what we should compare this to? It's the wall. True, although I don't think it uh, gets as surreal as the wall either. Well, this I is think my the point. wall at least has some more artistry to it. You're talking about feeling apologetic cuz something's trying to do something. I don't think this mm-hmm. movie's trying very hard. You know, there's a there's a within a movie a TV production feel about it because, you know, I, I mean I didn't enjoy watching the wall either, but if you want to talk about swinging for the fences, it's the wall of this year mm-hmm. because that movie's a mess because they tried to do too much and uh, I didn't like it cuz I didn't, you know, it didn't speak to me personally. But if we're going to do a comparison like that, like we're, how experimental, how weird, how much they sure. try to convey as a cultural statement. I, I agree with that. I think The Wall is a better movie than this movie Oh, is. yeah. Yeah. And it's more successful in what it's trying to do. Again, I, I mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it. You know, for it to be a big sweeping rock statement about the state of the world, you know, it's The Wall. What is the statement of this movie? Why does this movie exist? Well, I will. We'll get to that in the backstory because I think there's a very specific reason of why this movie is about what it is. But you, you're right. I think, and fundamentally, this is a movie that is obsessed with fame and celebrity, and is just ex- trying to explore that in a celebratory way, not like a cautionary way, which normally it is. Normally, when there's a movie about like reaching for fame, well, they it's, tried like, even it's that. usually used as like you, know, you lost your friends or you went too far that. this way. They did that. Well, well, no, I think they of. failed at it, but they tried yeah. to put it in there. You know, she does the one shitty performance with, I, what I was guess. it, like a beehive hair fucking, I, yeah. that was stupid. And then she goes back and makes up with her boyfriend on the bar top and everything's fine. It's, it's, it's mm. so dumb. Kyle, this movie's so dumb. The, the only thing I will say, like the other thing that links the three movies I already mentioned in this movie are varying levels of queerness being kind of explored yeah whereas like hedwig and and uh, rocky horror like it's very explicit like yep. it's for at the forefront we're talking about something uh that's very queer whereas it's more of a subtext in the uh, in phantom of the paradise and in this movie i think it's more subtext it's just more in like the camp factor mm-hmm. that this has there is a gay character that gets shown in this movie too it's written by a very out gay man which we'll explore here in a moment but there is that element too that they're playing around with i don't think that they can be as up front by it maybe necessarily but it is there, there is that element there i always enjoy when <laughs> when something leans into that type of expression yeah i mean i want to be there with you i just i didn't like how they did that you know even the boy the younger brother 
it's built into his characterization. Uh, you know, obviously, as a 14-year-old, the character, it's not meant to be explicit and he's not meant to be chasing other dudes in the film. But, you know, everything about the mannerisms, you can tell that the writer wanted yeah. that to be implied. But he does make out with a very adult woman at the end. Yeah, which is super weird and came out of nowhere. Have you ever watched the movie Blank Check? What's Blank Check? I always forget the actress who, stand, who stars in it. One second, one second, one second. It's somewhat infamous. It's, it's not a good movie. It's from 1994. Actually, that's later than I thought it was. Uh, made by Disney. <laughs> uh, I think it's, is it Karen Duffy? No. Yes. Doesn't matter. The, the thing about it is that it's a kid who gets like a million bucks or something million bucks or something like that it's been so long at the very end but what's important is at the very end this adult woman kisses this 10 year old boy nice like, they kiss like make out like, in 10 years call me and like and Perfect. then that's how the movie ends yeah. it's like what what is fucking happening yeah, yeah. in Good. this movie <laughs> well we all have dreams we aspire to and i I, I think uh, trying to grow up and seduce a pedophile is one of them. I think they should revive this concept as a 10-episode miniseries and have everyone lose their minds. Fun times. Fun yeah. times. Anyway, that's kind of what it reminded me of. It's like, what? why is this a thing that's happening right now? Why is she out there with a TV that's live broadcasting the show? I, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. All right, keep going. Keep going. I like the kangaroo outfit, personally. Let's do some backstory. Dave, this opened miraculously on September 11th, 1982. Yikes. I didn't even do this on purpose, or the machine didn't do this on purpose. This opened up the exact same day that Smithereens did. Hmm. Weird. Uh, so there's probably some art house theater in Canada or the double US feature. that you could have done a double bill of Smithereens and Starstruck. That would be, you know, not that I would want to sit through this again, but that would be a mm -hmm. fascinating double header. Mm -hmm. Well, just like punk scene in New York versus new wave in Australia. You, there are yeah. some comparisons you could probably make. It is rated 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. It has a wow. 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. No available rating on Metacritic. And then a Rotten Tomatoes from five critics. It's not a huge sample. Oh, uh, no. It's that's not 80%. That's not, not huge. That's minuscule. There are more critics rated Smithereens, just so you know. And then five. from 1,000 plus that's users, it's at 78%. Garbage. There was a DVD and VHS release of this movie, but those are both out of print. And is currently streaming on Tubi. Its budget was 270,000 Australian dollars. And I did not have the mental power to figure out what that actually yeah. means. <laughs> Conversion and then also like uh, inflation. In Australia, it reportedly made one and a half million Australian dollars at the box office. It's good. But I don't think it did very well outside of Australia. It's what description is. Young woman, not even a young woman. Mm -hmm. It is just young woman wants to become the next big singer with the help of her friends and despite the wishes of her working class family. Now it's time, Dave, uh, yeah. to play everyone's favorite game. Guess, Guess that, that tag. tag. This is, of course, when I don my favorite blazer, the long microphone that Bob Barker used to use. And you, Dave, have to guess what the tagline to this movie is. When you go to the movie theater, see that row of new posters uh, advertising the upcoming films. I already know the tagline. It's uh, garbage in, garbage out. You see all of the different pictures up there, and that might attract your eye. And then you might notice that there's a little phrase that's oh either God. written somewhere up. on the post, top, uh. bottom, maybe beside a, a human face. <laughs> and then, oh, that tagline makes me want to see this movie even more because of the pun it's using. I didn't even notice the human in it. Yeah. How great the copywriter was. Mm -hmm. Dave, you're going to fucking hate the answer this year, <laughs> this week. That might be too much of a tell. But one of these is the true tagline to this movie. I'm the ready. other two are completely made up. 
by me. Is the tagline to this movie, Dave, she's not going to be happy until she hits it big? Is it the Australian new wave sensation? Or is it a comedy musical? Oh, wow. <laughs> this is going to give it away too much, but if what would enrage you the most if this... I don't know. They're all... Well, they're, I'm not enraged by any of them. I just think they're mm. all... Don't make any sense because I really didn't like this movie. I'm going to go with one. She's not going to be happy until she hits it big? Sure. No, it's a comedy musical. <laughs> That's what the tagline to this movie was. It's like they're all inane. Yeah. No, no offense to you. That's... I'm just making a broad point. It stars Joey Kennedy as Jackie Mullins, Ross O'Donovan as Angus Mullins, and John O'May as Terry. What do you have for me? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Well, most of them are not searchable. Some of them don't even have pictures on IMDb. No. And Joe Kennedy, I think it's all Australian stuff. I think there's a mention- All the reviews I saw, she must have had like- I think she's a singer. A one hit or, or like something or it was on a TV show because it's like, whoa, this stars Joe Kennedy. Remember her? I'm like, no, this I is don't. my so point, like, who is- right? About the skew of nostalgia. If you know who Joe Kennedy is and then you write a positive review for this movie, it should be stricken from the public record. <laughs> it, it, you are not allowed to have an opinion. The level of bias there is obscene, right? It just doesn't make any sense to trust that person's opinion. Just like if you know who Tom Hanks is, you cannot actually- rate or review his movies. No, the difference is everybody knows who Tom Hanks is. So you can have point and counterpoint. But if 80 people stand up and be like, oh, I've heard of Joe Kennedy before. What did you think of Starstruck? That's her best work. Yeah, that is not a legitimate opinion, <laughs> right? At least not in a uh, public domain. They can have their mm-hmm. own fan groups on Reddit. I'm sure that's fine. But Okay, it's cinematography was by Russell Boyd. His top four from IMDb are Master and Commander from 2003. Mm. Great movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Long, a little too long. Picnic at Hanging Rock from 1975, Gallipoli from 1981, and uh, maybe the most famous Australian movie, Dave, Crocodile Dundee from Ooh, 1986. I could see Those that. I could see that top actually. Four, yeah, right? cinematography uh, credits. Like half made for TV a little bit, <laughs> but like just one yeah, step right. above that. So it's still a kind of a feature film. That's what this movie needed. Paul Hogan. <laughs> Paul Hogan needed if to be Paul in this Hogan movie. Paul Hogan was in this movie. It's already a star up, right? I mean, yeah. Jeffrey Rush is great. I was going to say, Jeffrey Rush is in it for what, five seconds? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and he just looks like a total dweeb. He, I, does he speak? Yeah, he has like a line, I think. Maybe. I can't remember now. Yeah, I think he says something. I might have watched this over a week ago, Dave. He is so. a lot taller than I realized. When he's in right. that one shot, I was like, wow, he's quite gangly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I texted you. I knew immediately. As soon as he walked that first frame and he walks by, I'm like, I don't know why. That's definitely Jeffrey Rush. There's just something about the shape of his head. That's a Rush head. That's a Rush head. <laughs> <laughs> this is written by Stephen McLean, directed by Gillian Armstrong. So here's what we need to know. Stephen McLean, openly gay man, born in Australia. His mother owned a pub, uh, which makes me think of Wake and Fright, because it was like probably some small little town for like serving beers and trapping people in there and never letting them or leave. What was the one we watched uh, last year with the uh, hot Peter O'Toole lookalike? Walkabout? That's what I said, Wake and Fright. Oh, that was Wake and Fright. What was Walkabout? Oh, that was the one with the Gila monster and the, yeah, yeah. Uh, not Gila monster, the girl and the boy that were Just stuck back. in the outback. Okay, Wake and Fright. Yes, keep going. His father was a merchant marine. So, <laughs> damn it. So, both father and son like being surrounded by semen. Wow. Is what I have to say. Wow. Uh, wow. Swing and a miss, I guess. I thought well. that was a great joke. But <laughs> Great. It was a joke. Yeah, it was a joke. (laughs) So, as any gay boy does, he becomes obsessed 
with a diva. Mm. That diva was Judy Garland. Like he goes bananas over her when he discovers her at age 12. Mm. Buys all the albums, magazines, reads all the articles, all the books that are written about her, falls in love with showbiz because of this, which is wild, seems how showbiz killed her, but whatever. (laughs) Falls in love with showbiz. That eventually includes other popular music, other popular divas. As an adult, he started as a journalist and would eventually find himself writing for music magazines. And in his travels around the world, hanging out with Peggy Lee, apparently, he was a big friend with Peggy Lee, he stumbles across Jim Sherman, the guy who helped produce... The Rocky Horror Show, as it was called before it became a movie. I don't know exactly what that means. It says he helped out with the show, and I could not find any more information. So I don't know if that's even true, uh-huh. but like, regardless, apparently he helped out with the Rocky Horror Picture Show or Rocky Horror Show. Sorry, before it became a movie. At this time, he is also becoming more than just a little obsessed with Peter Allen. Do you know who Peter Allen is, Dave? No. Should I? Song and Dance Man, yes. Uh, Australian performer, closeted gay man, marries Liza Minnelli. Mm. So it's one of her gay husbands she had. Full circle with his love for Judy Garland, by the way. He dies of AIDS. Peter Allen dies of AIDS. And he writes a book about Peter Allen's life called The Boy from Oz, which would be adapted into a stage musical of the same name, debuts in Australia, and then moves to Broadway, where it stars... Hugh Jackman in his first Broadway show, which wins him a Tony Award for Best Lead Actor in a Musical, and Stephen McLean is thanked by Hugh Jackman in that speech. So it's this whole... Like traveling in Kyle's wiki hole. This is crazy. Yeah. Me, when I found all this stuff, I'm like, really? This is the... And I'm like, just click, 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 like, how far down this actually went. Oh, we're pretty far down there. But if we go back to the early 80s, he runs into his old friend, David Elphick, who had once been at the music magazine that he had written for... And Elphick is now a movie producer who asks McLean to write a movie script. So McLean infuses a lot of his background, growing up working class, and his obsession with stardom, and his love of popular music, into the script for Starstruck. Uh, The movie was initially intended for another director, Graham Clifford. But he dropped out to go and direct Francis, which we've talked about very briefly. That's the movie where Jessica Lange, where Jessica Lange Mm. gave a great performance, but there was no way she was going to win over Meryl Streep, so she goes on to win the Oscar... Uh, in the sporting category, screwing over Terry Garr and Tootsie. Right, right. So it's all all interrelated. Gillian Armstrong had made her directing debut just a few years before this with a movie called My Brilliant Career. And if you want to get into the weeds with that, that is bonkers. Um, I was reading up a lot about it here this week. But that movie right now, I think, is more well-known that it kind of broke Sam Neill out as an actor. It was like in the first one, they got a lot of like worldwide acclaim. But it has a lot of controversy because of the source material and how true the book actually is versus what was made up. Regardless, I'm not going to get into all of that. It's all to say that it's a pretty fairly like literary adult film kind of reminds me of like the piano like that kind of vibe from it so armstrong wanted to do something like completely different from what she had just done so she jumped at this chance to direct a movie that was like literally nothing like her first feature film Uh, and she cast these bunch of unknowns to fit on all the roles now that being said i always told you this that like members of the band the split ends help writing some of the songs and one of the songs actually was was on one of their albums a few years before this but apparently in excess and Men at Work also wanted to help write music for this movie and were turned down by the producers. I'm guessing they might have come with too much money asking In excess to do it. would have made this movie very good. I agree. <laughs> I actually agree a lot with that. The movie did go over budget, apparently, but and it did fine in Australia. It didn't break out anywhere else, um, especially 
I just thought this was interesting that a producer in an interview said this specifically. It sounds like he's like making excuses, which he probably is. But especially it didn't do well in non-English countries because when you translate the lyrics as they are, they literally don't make any sense. Like it's like, what are they talking about? Also, uh, Australia is a pretty racist country historically. Sure. Uh, they make a quip. What, whatever about do you jabs. mean, Dave? Tell me, tell me more about this. There's yeah. actually a racist line in this movie where he talks about wouldn't feed this to the Japs or something like that. Yeah. I, I will say this just to be as fair as I can. It has become like a bit of a cult classic amongst certain people, but like yeah. 5,000 people. And nowhere apparently. near as like, I, I keep saying this, but nowhere near like Rocky Horror Picture Show cult classic levels. Like this is very niche cult classic level. Anyway, so that's the backstory of this movie. Mm-hmm. So the episode's over, right? We don't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, so I, I guess I will say this. This is not the worst movie we've ever watched. No. By the end of the film, I found myself coded to its shittiness. So it wasn't as offensive in that last number, you know, when they do the shitty tropey sneak in under disguise, like everybody does this now. People used to do this in every film um, about how to get in for your final performance, you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes I dress up like a bush just to sneak up on people. You know, it's kind of a mess. Men at work? Is that? Yeah, that's new. You know, I think I was just thinking when you said in excess, I was like, yeah, in excess, but I wouldn't have classified them as new wave. And I think for me, the term new wave is British new wave, uh, like right. pre-electronic music or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I mean, it, it could be as a terminology thing. Kind of like uh, new wave cinema. It means so many different things in different cultures, right? So. Well, yeah. Uh, you, you really talk, Dave, how much you don't like camp, but there is a part of me that does really like some of the jokes that happened in there this movie because this movie? Yeah. they are it's like they're just sitting there like so quiet in the office and the guy like leans over and is like so do you like the beatles and she's like they broke up when he was two i like that line like, really put I, a rim shot and foley or yeah it doesn't really <laughs> look well. shorter when i wear blue I thought, I thought that was a good line. I love those stupid inflatable sharks in the pool scene that they kept using. That was, okay, fine. Uh, the jump cuts, I know it was 80s and she would go on to make some 80s music videos and that became a mm-hmm. you know, pretty standard thing, particularly in the new wave and pop music. But my God, I thought I was going to have a seizure at one point. When the where the yeah, boys were in the backstage and they were just appearing in different fucking spots and standing in a hallway. Oh. And I agree. Lot of cuts, and I know and you just said you didn't like it. Yeah. That's probably my favorite choreographed bit in the entire movie, <laughs> because at least that that section. Because earlier on in that song, oh. they go behind the stairs, and the camera just stays. And I'm like, oh, there, there could weird. be better ways yeah. you could like film this. I think to make it be more interesting. The last one, also say it's like you know it'll all be different by New Year's Eve. Yes, it'll probably be worse. There's good jokes, good line deliveries in certain parts here that I understand why some people like to watch this, whether it's ironically or in a campy way, that there are funny things that happen in this movie. I still haven't heard any. Well, Dave, you're not open to enjoying anything, so... I enjoy I enjoyed talking about this movie. I'm having great fun right now. Yeah. <laughs> this movie broke my head because apparently the Sydney Opera House is way older than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. If you Did you look this up at all? Do you know when they broke ground to build the Sydney Opera House. Uh, if you had to guess, what year did they break ground to build the Sydney Opera House? I would assume the 60s. 1959. Uh, see, I'm not dumb. I'm not, not dumb. Not t- yeah. I did not think that was built until the 2000s. I oh, don't know wow. why. That, oh, come like, on. That's how new I thought. Because it looks so modern. Like, the actual it architecture of it looks so modern really. to me. I mean, the Sky Dome. It's like the, uh, that, that uh, theater that's in L.A., 
that the Disney presents from this weird angles Gary and stuff one? like that. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's completely different, and that's made of like this uh, metallic composite material. Kyle, well, I mean, you know, my dad was an architect, so I, I kind of have maybe a, you know more information. Yeah, I like. I did not think it would have been fully built by 1982. Is what I'm trying to say. I did not think it was fully built, and it is. They're going to the Sydney yeah. Opera House. Well, this the CN Tower went up. In like uh, around my birthday, 78 or 76. But if you think about constructing that fucking thing in the 70s, you should see the Mm -hmm. time, not timeless, what do you call it? Like the uh, sequential photographs. Human beings are capable of doing fascinating things when we're not on Twitter. Yes, it's it's Twitter that's preventing architects uh, from. Uh, it's Twitter that's preventing Twitter architects from humanity doing stuff, yeah. from finding itself, Kyle. Anyways, lastly, it officially opened in 1973, so it had been almost open for a decade by the time this Makes movie sense. came out. It doesn't look that new. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's as bad as what you're making out to be. I think you're going way too overboard with your hatred with it. I don't want to make it sound like I love this or even think it's a good movie, but it's not. It's not Yes, Giorgio. Again, I'm talking about the worst the movies duck. we watch. It's not. Yeah, yeah, it's not fine. Yes, Giorgio. Fine. It's not. Uh, million dollar duck. Like, I just don't think it's at that level. It's better than Grease Two, I think. Yeah, I mean, at least Grease Two had Michelle Pfeiffer, though. If In Excess or you know New Order or somebody that could uh, write music built this, mm-hmm. even with the same actors and the same campy tone, it'd have been fine. I, I just it wasn't underpinned by anything. I was expecting good music, Kyle, and I got straw hair. What are they called? Straw ends. Split ends. Split ends. I'd like to split your heads. I will champion the first couple songs that are in this movie. I don't One remember. of them was actually like a number, like a top 10 hit or something like that. Yeah, I read like that. that. They released an album based on the, the score, not the score, uh, the, the songs that were built mm-hmm. in this and one of them actually charted. We don't talk about Bruno charted, so it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, Kyle. Actually, Dave, everything doesn't matter. Nothing matters. <laughs> Nothing matters. We're done here. Okay, the machine says that we do have to wrap things up here. So let's get into Critics' Choice, the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought uh, at the time that this movie was released. Unfortunately, both Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael did not review this movie. So I'm going to do something again they did last week, bring some more current voices in. First up is Demi Adjuibe, uh, someone who I really like, a great internet personality. You might also remember him. You probably don't, Dave, because you're not like on TikTok or anything like that. But for like the last five years, he's made... a uh, short film that uses that song September from Earth, Wind, Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire. And does like a really like intricate like single take shot. So he's done that for the last few years. And he's a writer. He punches up movies and stuff like that too. So he uh, he gets a lot of work done. He said this about this movie. I wish this was shot more like a musical, but it's so Australian and so charming. More working class musicals, exclamation point. More new wave musicals, exclamation point. More over-involved 14-year-old boys who are definitely making out with a grown adult woman at the end of the movie. That's what he had to say. I think there's a little bit more tongue-in-cheek that's going on Mm, mm. with that. There's also this one who is much more negative, which is Benjamin Malot, M-I-L-O-T. He gave it two stars and says, Surprised this hasn't reached Rocky Horror levels of cult. The costumes and staged viewings included. Maybe it is in Australia? I hope so, at least. It's not dot 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 good, but I can see having fun with this if watched in a group setting and drunk. It's like a town came together to make a movie. Get the water polo team to do a dance number in the pool. We can't close the bar to film. Just have everyone inside learn a silly dance. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I can never truly hate a film that tries this hard. I probably owe Armstrong a viewing of my brilliant career to make up for this. He gave it two stars. I'm kind of already exhausted trying to... I mean, we spent the first 30 minutes not talking about this film, so I shouldn't complain. So we've only spent about 20 minutes 
talking about. <laughs> so I'm okay with that. But at least as far as both of those uh, write-ups, I think they're fine. I mean, if someone wanted to prize this for their nostalgic ideas, like even referencing so Australian, I don't even know what that means, to be honest with you. When he brought up the second one, when he brought up this idea that town came together and let's get the water, you know what? I, I can actually see what he, that's a that's a male review, right? What he well, uh, yeah. is seeing in that, because that, that definitely fits the tone. It feels like the director called in people that she knew and she was like, yeah, let's, uh, let's figure a way let's to shoehorn you into this. I'll be glad to forget that I watched this. We do need to rate this film, but before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release videos on our YouTube channel that match the movie that we're talking about that week. And if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts so let's get to the rating of this movie dave out of five what are you going to give starstruck well i so uh, you missed the question but it doesn't matter it's not culturally relevant oh my god right i did forget it's okay it, dave does this it's hold up it's no. still culturally relevant just, just answer it yeah no and no i also say no and no but i think there's a charm to it so i think that if you're i'm gonna say if no you're interested it's on, it's on tubi it's uh, free you can watch it no it's i'm gonna say no to that pay too. money for it yeah what do you have any other statements i can say no <laughs> I like the kangaroo no, outfit. No, no, I'm just, I'm just being an asshole. Now. I, despite me feeling like I wasted, I mean, this movie's two hours long, which is also- no, it's not. It's 90 minutes. Wasn't it like a one, am I mixing this up with Sneakerella? Yes. Yeah, maybe. Sneakerella was like an hour and 58 minutes, Kyle. Why? I don't know. This should have been like a 30 minute TV special. Yeah, 96 minutes. 96 so minutes, in- okay. Just an hour, over an hour. So at and least half. it's short. All right. Well, it's not Yes, Giorgio. It's not The Duck. I'm not that offended. I just wish I had. We seen should it. remake Million Dollar Duck and just call it The Duck. <laughs> we'll invert the it. reboot of. We'll invert it. Of it's million the Dollar Doctor duck. that shits the egg, and the dog and mm-hmm. the duck that's going whoa, freshen that up. I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you, Kyle, and go a little higher than I was intending. I'm gonna give it a to a two. And I'm going to give it a two because I'm beginning to realize if I give everything a one, it puts everybody into this one pot and it's starting to mix up together. And I don't remember what a one is anymore. This tracks, Dave. I mean, I'm glad that you're alerting that not every movie can be a one. There has to be some levels of gray in this. Uh, and it also tracks because uh, I'm giving it only slightly more. I'm giving it a 2.5. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's some things about this that I actually did enjoy while ultimately being pretty disappointed by the movie overall. That does mean it's going to average to 2.25. We'll, of course, round down on the letterbox page. That is going to tie with only one other movie. Would you say this is better or worse than Diner? Worse. I would also agree with yeah. that. I think Diner, again, we always go back to like, is it doing what it's trying to do? Yeah. Better or worse? And Diner is doing what it's trying to do at least a little bit better, I think. The subjective part about rating films. I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, not just from comments we get or, you know, but also reading other reviews. Uh, And also with this photography workshop, particularly with portraiture, am I 
making a picture for myself, for others, or for how I think others should view me. Criticism, mm. same thing. Am I telling you that I think this is a two because I think a listener would also rate this a two? No. Would I mm. say that everybody should hate Diner? No. I, I just didn't like it and I don't like this film. So, it's interesting to compare when we do these things where we line them up. Diner is a much, much better constructed film that mm. I didn't enjoy watching. <laughs> Well, it is going to then enter into our list at the number 15 position, right below Diner, right above Grease 2, mm. interestingly enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But which is probably what we're going to be reviewing here next week. I'm going to push this button. Oh, Dave, this is going to be real fun. Okay. I think this is going to be two firsts. The first time we get to talk about Michael Keaton. Ooh. And I think the first time we get to talk about Ron Howard. So well, we're going to be watching Night Shift. So Ron Howard, kind of more late 80s, early 90s that he has this big run? Yes, because it's like this movie and then it's like Splash right after this. And then it goes on that run of whether you like them or not, at least culturally significant movies, like three or four in a row. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I've never heard of it, to be honest with you, which I'm kind of surprised. I'm not a, you know, I don't chase Ron Howard, but I do like Michael Keaton. This is his first movie. Yeah, this is probably why I've never heard of it. Michael Keaton's very first movie. kid. I'm ready. Well, I'm just going to... Put on this subandex. I'm gonna snap those straps. Gross. Put on my little feathery wig here, Dave. No, and uh, no, we're gonna go to the airband competition. Are you are you with me? Airband school. Have you? There's a documentary called Air Guitar Nation. Have you heard of that? Yes. That's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so is that a yes or no on you coming with me? No. Echo and the bunny men all the way.